Hello, everyone. I'm LaCritia Free, and welcome to A Neighborly Place. Here, we celebrate the power of the indomitable human spirit by sharing stories about our neighbors throughout Southern Arizona. I'm grateful to be here with you today, and we have a fantastic guest with us, Diana Osborne, who is the new proprietor of the Mount Lemon Lodge, which has not yet opened up. Diana, thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm delighted to be here. Fantastic. Let's get started. Now, you and I don't know each other well, but we have met a few times, um, and your background is is in architecture? I am. My family came in the 1800s on my mother's side and in the 40s on my father's side. So So you go way back. Wow. Yes. Yes. I go pretty far back. So I would say Tucson is definitely, this is where my roots are. Absolutely. And then as far as your exposure on Mount Lemmon, you have a history of your family vacations or I think it's more than that though, right up on Mount Lemmon. What is your Mount, the Mount Lemmon portion of your history? My great-grandfather went to Mount Lemmon in the early 1900s and formed a land company, purchased the old homestead, and subdivided what we now know as Summerhaven. And our first cabin up there was built in 1907, I believe, and it was called Heart's Desire. So we've been on that mountain for a long time. I can't imagine what Mount Lemmon must have looked like in 1900. 1901. The trees were very large. Yes, I can't imagine. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty cool. So your family's been vacationing up there and homesteading up there and... Well, not really homesteading, but going up during the summers because early on it was a summer retreat. People didn't really live up there year-round because of the snow in the winter. So it was really a retreat from the desert to get out of the heat. So people would go up and initially they would have tents, Uh, They would camp during the summer. And then later, as Tucson started to grow, cabins were being built and people would go up for summertime stays at their little cabins. So there was private property and then forest service leases, that sort of thing. So the thing that I'm wondering is when we go up to Mount Lemmon now, we have that nice paved road and there's the, you know, divided lines and all that kind of stuff. And it's a very safe trip up. I'm trying to think of what it must have looked like in the 70s or in the 60s. Were, were there paved roads it going up exactly to Mount It was exactly what you see today was there, but it was narrower. So they did a road widening. The road that we have up the front side of the mountain, if you're on the Tucson side, is the Hitchcock Highway, which was opened in, I believe, 1952 or 1953. And The backside was used before that, and it's called the control road. And it's called the control road because they would have it one way up during certain hours, like in the morning, and then the afternoon it was one way down. So they had a control for the direction of traffic because it was so narrow. I think I've heard about that back way down. Very interesting. I have an FJ Cruiser, and people tell me that if you go four-wheeling, you could make it up or down. But it's, it's a rough steep. road. Yeah, that's what I've heard is that it's <laughs> yeah. a rough road, and yeah. I, I am not going to be doing it, that's for sure. Um, so as a child, what are some of your best memories of Mount Lemon? It was the first monsoons, you know, are so you're in the clouds, yeah. and the lightning is, you're, it's like you are in the storm, not under the storm. And so uh, my birthday is in July, July 10th, and it always brought in the the 
new year, you know, for us, the rain brings life yes. to the desert. So we start our year with the rain. And so that was always very special to me. The other thing is Mount Lemmon in the 50s and 60s was just an amazing place. We had lodges up there. We had the radar base where the military was tracking missiles back then. Um, we had the ski area, tons of snow back then. The skiing was fantastic on the mountain. Small ski area, very challenging, but good, good snow. Yeah. I remember tunneling to the front door of our cabin, and the snow was our insulation. But during those years, what I really remember is Friday night movies at the radar base with all the military guys, and they'd watch family-style movies right. in a long haul. Saturday nights at the Mount Lemon Inn, which was owned by Tony Zimmerman, the family is still up there. We would go to the Saturday night country western dances with live bands every weekend. And I learned to two-step standing on the boots of cowboys. And then Sundays, we had a caller who would come up and teach us kids how to square dance. And some of the adults would join in too. Um, and pancake breakfasts at the old lodge, which was a Ponderosa, or I think it was, had another name like Mariposa or something like that. Um, and, but all of that is gone now, except for one building, which looks like the old architecture on the mountain, which is the ski lodge at Ski Valley. Right, right. Well, as, as you're talking, I can just, I'm closing my eyes and just visualizing the things that you're saying, and I see it. I see it. Yeah. So, so is, is, it, is it your plan to kind of try to bring back that magic that was there when you were growing up as a child? And I'm so glad you were used the word magic yeah. because that is exact. I believe in bringing back magic. And so this lodge is going to replace, there have been a history of three, predominantly three lodges. The two really old grand dams, and then the Alpine was built after they were gone. That burned in the 2003 Aspen fire. Since then, no lodging has been available other than people renting cabins. So my vision is taking that history of the European Alpine look, which was very dominant up there, both in the Mount Lemon Inn, which was more of a modern uh, look, and the old lodge, which was huge logs from trees, um, to create an alpine chalet style. So it's going to be very old world, but with all the modern conveniences, if I can get the Wi-Fi to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different issue, right? Yeah. Getting the Wi-Fi up on the mountain. So the lodge will be, it'll be all encompassing. It'll have rooms for rent, which will be very large. Um, 350 square foot is the small rooms and then larger suites. It will also have um, a cafe with a lot of seating indoors, but also a huge 20 foot by 80 foot deck because I want it to be a place to hang out, Yeah, you know, exactly. like the heart of the community where people who have cabins up there, they'll come there for dinner or just to hang out, visit friends, have meetings. So that just sounds really cool. So you are going to have the look of it is going to be something that we probably haven't seen up on Mount Lemmon very often. Those of us who don't go way back and have that history that you do, historic perspective that you do. So just that energy and excitement is going to be there. Now, how large will the lodge be? How many rooms will you actually have? I'll have 14 rooms available for 
guests. Uh, the lodge inside is going to be about 15,000 square feet. It'll be four stories. Um, the upper two levels, will every room will have its own little deck. It'll have a fireplace. Um, it'll have a little kitchenette in it so people can stay more than one night. And if they want to go to the Sawmill Run restaurant or the cookie cabin or across to the um, general store to pick up food, they can bring it back to their room. They've got a place to keep it because they're certainly not going to want to eat at my place three meals a day for four days if they're there that long. Right, right. So we, we want to make sure that they have the opportunity to stay, have some variety. Um, then we'll have... Uh, two employee apartments because employment on Mount Lemon is a very difficult thing because people, it's a huge commute for people. And so I'll have two apartments, one apartment for the innkeeper or innkeepers if it's a couple. And the other apartment will be for shift employees who don't really want to live on the mountain. But if they're working two to three days, they will have an apartment with bedrooms that they can share kitchen bathroom and living area yeah, they don't patio. have to come all the way down the mountain every single every day single if day. they're working like a three-day shift or four-day shift so speaking of your uh, potential employees when are you going to start looking for that innkeeper and those shift employees so right now we're just entering construction documents in the hopes that our hearing uh, it, which is in front of the Board of Supervisors, is going to be February 18th, which oh, is... Oh, that's just around the corner. That's next like next week. week. Yeah. Yes. And so once we go through that hearing, hopefully we'll have a thumbs up on, on moving forward with the project. That's our last hearing. And at this point, we've had 100% support. There's not been anyone in opposition. They all know that I'm, I am personally accountable for everything. If someone makes noise after 10 o'clock, they can call me and I will go take care of it from my cabin on the mountain or I'll make sure the innkeeper takes care Just of it. Just knowing what I know about you, I believe that to be true. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, so the employees um, are a very important part of it. We'll look for employees Probably when we start construction. Construction is going to take probably less than a year, depending on what is happening with getting out of the ground, because we're going to have to excavate, do utilities underground. Um, I don't want anything above ground, so all electric will be buried, you know. Well, construction often takes a little bit longer than we think it is going to take, so I'm just imagining maybe by spring of 2021. We should be, if everything goes according to my schedule, which is very aggressive, I hope to open a year from this summer. Oh. So we'll be interviewing starting this summer, probably for positions. That's wonderful timing. People are yeah. going to be looking to get out of the, uh, the heat. Yes. Down in Tucson. I've already got my grandchildren who've asked if they could work at the cafe, uh, 15 years old, and they want to stay at my cabin, live with me, and work at the cafe during the summer. And I think it's a great job for them. I do, too. Legacy stuff is important, right? Yeah. So you actually will have a home on the mountain as well, or do you currently have a home on the mountain? Yes. Okay. My husband and I have a home that's up there, and it makes it very easy um, for me to stay there while we're under construction to be able to visit the site daily, answer questions, so there's no delay in the work. Right, right. Okay, so let's get back and talk about you a little bit. So your background is in architecture. You graduated from the University of Arizona with your architecture degree. And then what did you do in between 
that time and your opening of the re- I mean, it's a whole lifetime in between, right? But just in general, what what was your path? So I started architecture late. I was in my 30s and was having babies when I started school. So, but I did finish in five years and I graduated in 89. I went to work for Richard Reif Associates and he did commercial architecture. So I got started doing, I think my first intern project was working on Olive Garden. I got to do a Barnes and Noble, the first one in Tucson. Uh, so, and then I did the DEA headquarters before they moved. So I, I had a lot of commercial background, but we morphed into, they didn't do any residential work. And, um, so anyone who came in, Dick would say, oh, we don't do residential, but there's a gal in the office who will do it on the side. Got it. So I started getting very busy with doing additions, remodels, that sort of thing, and then starting with new residential work. Went that direction for a while, ended up doing very high-end work, and thought, why am I Why am I doing this? I should be moving back toward a more pro bono or something giving back to the community. So I did the first Habitat for Humanity ADA house um, that they used as their plan across the country. That was about a year donation. When you say ADA house? That's handicapped accessible. Okay, got it. Um, American Disabilities Act. Okay. And so I worked with a committee of people in wheelchairs who were handicapped. It was a great experience. Uh, I learned a lot And um, so I did that. I designed a clinic that doubles as a community center in Mexico in a remote area for people who have no access to medical facilities. My husband and I are flying Samaritans. So I did that. Um, I, you know, so really I was focused on on doing that kind of work. But then um, I also did work for my husband's firm. So doing tenant improvements, you know, in in office buildings. Uh, So I've done that. A variety of different things. Veterinary surgeries, um, just Did commercial. you say veterinary surgeries? Yes, surgical facilities. Um, so I've done a whole gamut of things. Yeah. And currently, though, I am on the task force for the Mount Lemmon Fire Department or district. And so I'm going through uh, programming for them in making their fire par- department or their, their facility prepared for the future because Tucson has about a, mil- a million people, I think, at this point, and it's growing like gangbusters. That's right. And the demand on Mount Lemmon is growing about as quickly as the city. It's only going to increase. And it makes me wonder, what, what do you think took so long for another lodge to be built? What were the barriers to entry for you up there? First, it was the fire. The Aspen fire destroyed the mountain and it looked like a moonscape. It was black and barren and just dead black trees. I mean, I went up there and I was in shock. I knew I was a firefighter actually uh, before I went to college and I, I knew what it would look like, but it was so devastating. It was shocking. Yes. No one would want to build up there, but the community pulled together. People started rebuilding and it still did not look good. So who would want to go up there and stay in a charred environment? It has taken this long to get the growth back. The trees are starting to grow. With a ponderosa pine, until they're about 36 inches high, it takes decades for that tree to get that big. But once they get to about three or four feet tall, 
they grow about a foot a year and they start going pretty quickly. So the forest is coming back. The areas where the trees aren't growing is green. It looks like parts of Switzerland and the French Alps, you know, it's so fortunate with getting a lot of uh, water or rain up there. Yes. So, so partly it was the fire that delayed anybody from reinvesting on the mountain. The other really critical thing is we had the recession and the housing bust in 2005. So the economy plummeted, you know, right when people were starting to think, oh, we can maybe do something on Mount Lemmon. Boom. The economic boom. We had bust, yeah. we had that bust happen. So it's taken this long to recover. And then all of a sudden, a couple of us thought, well, maybe now's the time. The demand is there. People are asking, what do we, where do we go? Is there something to do? Is there a place to stay? And the answer has always been, no, not really, unless you want to hike or fight for a picnic table. Or I know there are some <laughs> cabins up there that people have where they uses Airbnbs or something similar for uh, renting out, but nothing that has the stability of being able to know you could just drive up there and go to the lodge. Right, exactly. Or make a reservation. Right, make a reservation for your family and and do that. So that's that's really what delayed it that long. Okay, so now I want to talk to you a little bit um, as a woman business, female business owner, there's always a live-work balance that we struggle with, right? And I know your children are grown now. You have grandchildren, but you want to spend time with them too. So talk to me about your journey of balancing your life with your work. I didn't do that great a job when I first became an architect. I pretty much worked nonstop. Uh, But we did take the time to do things with the kids Because I've always believed if you play together, you stay together as a family. So we are very avid skiers. I started teaching my children how to ski when they were very young. I was a ski instructor and also did ski patrol. And I raced when I was a child on a ski team. And uh, we included the children in that. Every year we would take them skiing. The children grew up to be fantastic skiers. One was a ski instructor up at sunrise for years. That's um, a lifelong gift, right? Yeah, Learning how to yeah. ski. So we did that. We also love to camp and hike. So during those early years, we every year went to uh, fish and camp over Memorial Weekend with the family and included friends and other kids to go on that with us. So those were really the two main things we did with the kids. What I really wish I had done more of was the day-to-day things. Actually, I'm going to back up and say I was also very involved in soccer, so maybe <laughs> I did a better job than I you think. You know, but, but what, what, what you're talking about here is something that is very important, which is we can often be so judgmental about the way that we have raised our children, and oftentimes with hindsight we can see that we really did do a good job with our kids. And at the time, sometimes we felt like we weren't giving enough. Many of us had to work as well as raise our kids. And so what you're raising is a very important thing that I think we need to learn how to be gentle with ourselves with regard to we did the best we could, you know? Right, right. But I do balance my grandchildren pretty well. Um, I do take time 
on a regular basis to take them to Mount Lemmon. I started the Sky Island Kids Club with a friend of mine on the mountain, Christina Grossman, and she has young kids. For me, it's not my kids anymore, but it's my grandkids. And I wanted to share with them some of what I experienced as a child on the mountain. So we started this kids club. It's educational, but it's also fun. Um, And it's a way to bring the kids together to meet other children that have families that are affiliated with the mountain, um, either through their parents or grandparents. And there, I wonder how many children there actually are on the mountain, because there's no school up there, right? So the, however, whatever children are up on the mountain, they go to school, they have to take a bus down. So I think we don't really have children who live up there year round. Uh, there might be some, but they're very young, like babies. Um, and at any given point, there may be none, there may be some, but you're right. There's not enough up there to have a school on the mountain anymore. Was there um, a school at one point? There was. And um, I did not go to that school, but we loved the mountain so much as children. People would say, where are you from? We'd say, Mount Lemon. And they'd say, really, where do you go to school? And we'd say, well, we live on the mountain, but we drive to Tucson Monday through Friday. We live in town just to go to school. Right. During the school That's year. That's a very <laughs> slick way of answering that question, right? Right. <laughs> That's pretty good. But we have 15 to... 15 or more children that are members of the kids club up there. So. I, well, where you can be indulgent is with your grandkids, right? Yes. I mean, I don't have grandchildren, but from what I understand, that's where you kind of can really oh, focus a lot of energy. A and it's a wonderful relationship. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so what would you say were some of the challenges or was the mo- biggest challenge for you in starting this um, idea for a lodge on Mount Lemmon? Because it had been such a w- long time since the last one was there. Um, the economy is improving, and you said the mountain was kind of poised for mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. doing something up there. Were there other barriers to entry for you? There definitely were. The biggest problem up there is land. There's not a lot of land. So there was nothing for sale uh, when we decided to do this. So I contacted some friends I've known my whole life, And they owned two lots across from the general store. And I basically approached them and said, would you be willing to sell? This is what we want to do with the land. They are very emotional about it. They only want quality. And they said, we'll sell to you. We trust you. We know you. And we know you'll do what you say you'll do. So they sold us the lots. And that was the biggest barrier. That's why even though we knew we were working on it, we couldn't talk about it because if it fell through, you know, it wasn't going to happen. So that was quite a few months of working on that. So we were very fortunate. Okay. It is time for the final question. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So what that means is that we are going to be talking about getting a little bit more exposure into who you are by you answering one of three questions. So I don't know if you can remember when you were 15 years old and what your life looked like back then. Um, And the first question is sort of what advice would you give your 15 year old self if you decide to answer that one? The second question is what is one thing that you would like to do that you haven't yet done? 
And then the third question is, what is your biggest regret? And of course, you're not going to answer all three, but you're going to pick one of your own choice. And then that gives us a little bit more insight into who you are in a different way. Okay. I think question number two. Okay. Um, I love to hike and my husband and I have finished the Arizona Trail and we're getting ready to start the Continental Divide Trail next month. And so one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to hike the Samurai Trail in Japan and stay at the little inns. Now, I'm an architect, but I've never experienced living in the traditional Japanese architecture. I just think that would be so much fun to experience the land and the mountains in a very personal way. Um, The other thing is to ski Japan. I've never skied Japan, and I met someone up in Canada at Revelstoke skiing, and they said it's one of their go-to places, and they are from Australia, and so they go to Japan to ski more than anywhere else, and I think that would be amazing. That sounds fabulous. I think you've given some other people some things they might want to do in their future as well by mentioning that. (laughs) That sounds pretty cool. All right. Well, that concludes our time together today, Diana. Thank you so much for joining us here at A Neighborly Place. I am so honored that you asked, and I'm delighted to share. Thank you. And thank you, those of us who are listening, for spending time with us today. If you have any questions for any of our guests, or if you know of someone who should be celebrated for their good community works, please email me at info at neighborlyplace.com. So I am Lucretia Free, and we will meet again next time in A Neighborly Place. Thanks to Andrea and Kelly Walker for allowing us to record our podcast here at the cozy and comfortable Viva Coffee House in Reader Ranch. And special thanks to our podcast master, Robert Nimitz.